because, of course, Henry IV is the father of Henry V, who's the father of Henry VI, who's the father of da, 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 to Henry. I know, right? And Elizabeth. So ultimately, you know, Shakespeare's patron. Welcome everyone. Pull up a log and settle in for the fourth episode of Rosa and Rachel's Redwall Report, and truly the most nerdy thing either of us has ever done. On today's episode, we dive into the nature of good and evil, the Richard III comparison, and Rachel tests her decades-old knowledge of Redwall plot points. Pour yourself a cordial and enjoy. You know, in regards to the rats and the hordes, you know, they're evil. They leave all their friends to die. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Because it's all about capitalism and, like, getting more and more and more wealth, which, you know, in the 80s under Thatcher, I think, like, that's also, like, a very relevant context. But it could also be, like, you know, good versus evil. I was just thinking about this because I'm sure that there are a lot of, like, weirdo conservative Redwall fans who are like, yes, that's the idea. We should build a community that's isolated and self-sufficient and keep everybody else out. And they want to take what's ours. But I think like it's very clear that the rats are bad because they're greedy. Yeah. It's not even so much that they like killing people or taking things that aren't theirs. The thing they care about the most is getting more and more and more and being more and more ambitious. And I think like, and then that's just sort of like the template for all the villains throughout the book. Like greed is bad. Greed is bad. And it's not about like uh, protecting civil liberties and it's Mm -hmm. not even about glorifying isolationism. Right. You know? Well, because yeah, Asmodeus is the same, right? Like he- has his horde of stuff and then he just kind of like goes and does things you know to get more yeah but i think like to go back to like this is violent i think it can go into your discussion of richard the third which like brian jakes was a big fan of classic literature i mean he dropped out of like middle school and never continued his education and then or whatever it was and then continued to like become you know a playwright and you know record with his folk band and like even before he was famous for Redwall he had like a a show on like local radio like a talk show and like I think he just loved classic literature and you can see him reference it all the time in Redwall like he constantly talks about Dawn's rosy fingers yep and when I first read Homer I was like oh (laughs) or like the wine dark sea like he's referencing classics all the time. So like the violence in the books, I guess, doesn't bother me so much because like, is this really more violent than the Odyssey or the Iliad? So I guess we should talk about the Richard III connection. Yeah, go for it. Cause I don't know it. <laughs> so and just the idea of going crazy. <laughs> so the idea when I, when I read this, you know, and it's not exactly, you know, one-to-one, but I think it's, it's a pretty good adaptation. You know, so the story of Richard III, right, is the Yorks and the Lancaster. These are two noble families that have been at war for ages and ages and ages in, in England. It's called the War of the Roses because the uh, Yorks are the White Roses 
the Lancasters are the Red Roses and the Yorks are currently in power. And I won't go into like all of the details, but like through Hook and through Crook, Richard III, who is the youngest brother of these three important York princes, rises to power by like killing off, you know, one brother, killing off another brother, murdering his, you know, nephews and nieces and just kind of like rising and rising and rising and rising. And Shakespeare depicts him, you know, as this, you know, hideous, deformed person in actual reality. He may have had a little bit of a hunchback, but not actually. And uh, he is very, very evil, right? And he does all these horrible things. But where kind of the comparison starts to come in is that on the eve, as he's gaining in power, he forces out the, you know, Lancasters. He, he slaughters Lancasters. I mean, one of the, one of the princes who Richard murders his his brother or something i don't quite remember there's this guy named henry Brook who is kind of exiled and decides to like come back and is this like anointed you know he's not he's not really a character he's more just like this idea of like a good you know a good person right? a good fighter when he's kind of anointed by god to come back and fight this force of evil and in kind of the day before the final battle, Richard is kind of visited by all of these ghosts of the various people he killed and who are all accusing him of doing all these horrible things and pointing the way and like leading the way to Henry Boylingbrook, who becomes Henry IV, which is why we like him so much because of course, Henry IV is the father of Henry V, who's the father of Henry VI, who's the father of da, 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 to Henry, I know, right? And Elizabeth. So ultimately, you know, Shakespeare's patron. So it goes, it goes kind of back. And that's kind of what reminded me of this is that you have this kind of like dastardly, over the top evil person who's kind of being haunted by, you know, this, this, you know, force, this kind of nameless force of good that's just good for no other reason than being good and who comes and has a final climactic battle. So that's that's kind of why I was like, you know, Matthias is, is boiling brook and Richard III, who, you know, even though he's evil, you're rooting for him because he's just so cool uh, and just so like well-developed. Yeah, so that was, that was my kind of idea. I agree. Like there's that whole scene where Cooney is biting and yeah. he's haunted by the specters of everybody he's killed. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly what I kind of, you know, was like, oh yes, this is what this is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, why not? I mean, I, Brian Jakes does like spooky and twisted very well. It is kind of interesting. I mean, he does, there doesn't seem to be any female characters in the- Uh, Yeah, but there are female vermin waiter. Well, there's Sela. Sela's not a vermin though. Sela's a fox. He's a bad guy. Um, and then we'll have Sarmina and Mossflower. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we could say, was Brian Jakes racist? Sure. Are these books racist? I don't know. Was Brian Jakes sexist? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like yeah. all the women are horrible. <laughs> Except for... Constance and Winifred and Jess. Like, yeah. there are a lot of women who do things that are cool, but there was never a female Abbey warrior. Even in Wilmhedge, there is a female character who carries the sword but she's never becomes the warrior. The one other major female character, Cornflower, like she spends most of the book like cooking, which is fine, but you know, or, and then just like is given away by <laughs> Mortimer. I think as we move forward in the books, there's like more than enough characters who kind of make up for Cornflower. You know, like Mariel is as badass as they come. 
I'm really Rose in her own way and Martin the Warrior is a badass. There isn't there someone in Mossflower who Gamp is in love with? Like she was pretty cool. There's the badger whose right. son is uh Lord Brocktree. So like, you know, they're there. They just don't get to touch Martin's sword. That's for Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, I guess next time we'll do like a little preview of Mossflower to see what we remember because I really don't remember much. Well, we can, we can do that. Than... Okay. Yeah. So yeah. do you want me to do my best to summarize Mossflower? Yes, please. Well, I've, I've uh, read half of it now. Okay. So I'll see if you are correct. All right. So from what I remember, it opens on Martin getting arrested and being taken to a fort called Kotir, which is Russian for something. And there he confronts the wildcat Sarmina, who rules over the fortress, the daughter of Lord Verdwega Green Eyes or Verdalga or something like that. And he's thrown to prison. He has a sword. Sarmina breaks the sword in half. It was his father's sword. While he's imprisoned, he meets a mouse named Ganf, spelled Ganf. It is Yiddish for thief. And Ganf is modeled after Brian Jakes. You can tell because he makes up annoying rhymes every 30 seconds because he's the most fun. So eventually they break out of Cotier. So Ganf and Martin break out and they go to Brock Hall, which is like the sort of literal underground meeting place of resistance underneath a tree which i think is the three-topped oak tree that gets mentioned over and over and over again in all the other books but i guess they forgot that brock hall existed and that place is kind of governed by a female badger whose name i forgot but she misses her son ward brock tree who had to leave because only one badger can live in one place at a time or they kill each other literally and so he goes to sell to be the badger ward there at some point in their escape martin recovers the the hilt of his father's sword and he and gamp decide to go to salamandastron to get it fixed and that's how the sword of martin is made i don't know they come back with the long patrol and Lord Brocktree, and he'll get reunited with his mother. And then they defeat Sarmina. And I don't know if you want me to spoil that untimely demise. Okay. Do you want me to? No. Okay. It's fun. I'm sure it's very Shakespearean, but you'll catch it more than I do. Mm -hmm. And also in the meantime, Sarmina has a brother named Gingivere (laughs) as well. And uh, Gingivere is a pacifist vegan, and he's on the side of the mice, because I guess he thinks he could be a fair and just ruler, subjugate people, but be nice about it. So he's sort of on the side of the woodland creatures. And then somewhere along the way, he meets the abbess of Wilmhedge. It's like a group of mice who had to leave their abbey behind because there was a plague. Hashtag too soon. Hashtag too real. And, and then they kind of show up and help out and they're into like healing and they're pacifists and whatever. And then when Kotir is destroyed, they build Redwall Abbey on top of it. So when you think about it, Redwall has very unstable foundations because it is built on top of a fortress that was shitty when Martin got there and then it gets flooded. Then they build an abbey on top of it. And also Brock Hall might be like next to it. <laughs> How is this place still standing? <laughs> Uh, also the the shrews show up again that's pretty much what i remember yeah well it's mostly right some of the the timeline stuff is a little off but uh, can't wait to be corrected yeah um but yeah you know one of the things i really do love about it is that like it's much more cohesive 
I, mm-hmm. I felt like we were living in a real world. So I think we will end on a moment of Zen, courtesy of Brian Jakes. He was a very pithy interview subject, as it turns out. I mean, I remember him being very funny at the book signings I went to. So mm-hmm. allow me to read this one about Lord of the Rings from a 1995 interview mm-hmm. in Locus. It really gets up my nose when publicists call my books another Lord of the Rings, I say. It's not another Lord of the Rings. It's my bloody book. It's my creation. I wrote it. And another thing, I didn't have to plunder Norse and European mythology to do it. That was Rachel and Rosa's Redwall Report. Stay tuned and come back next week when we begin our discussion of the second book, Mossflower, even though it is a prequel to Redwall. Additionally, we'll talk about who gets to be sentient, in Mossflower, what's going on with Sermina, and also we'll have some dramatic readings of some very silly rhymes. We will be joined by a very special guest to help us talk about this kind of ridiculous book. And we see whether Rachel's predictions will come true. In the meantime, stay out of dark forest gates and eat plenty of candied chestnuts.